Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy in the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here beginning episode 28 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So I'm sitting here in a hotel room in Moab, Utah. As you can see by the big picture behind me in the weird lighting, it's not an optimal studio, but it's where I am. Fits right in actually to my plans for episode 27. So in the process of going through all the thousand tiny steps that led me to Molly's death and Jack's arrival, true self-analysis, I began to learn a lot more about the effects of trauma in my life and how my traumatic experiences early on have formed my decision-making process, how I react to my body, how my my body reacts to stress, all of those things. Recording this particular episode, my plan had been to talk about living double lives. People that have trauma or horrifying experiences in their lives, but yet still have to continue to live, learn very quickly how to develop a double life. And I learned this as a young child. I needed to go to school and seem normal. I needed to learn. I needed to watch my sister and brother. I wanted to fit in. I very quickly learned at a very young age how to present the barb that should be seen and then come home and in my quiet moments, acknowledge the barb that really was. And I think that's probably true for everybody. I don't think this is a unique thing, but I do know that people that have been traumatized or abused, people that have suffered serious traumas, spend a lot of time really making believe they're fine. A woman I know in my community recently suffered from child loss, and she put a post about how so much of grief and child loss is putting on a fake face and making believe you're fine. And of course, every, all of her good friends respond, we're here for you. You never have to do that for us. But the sad reality is life is mostly about people that are not our good friends, that do not know and understand what we're going through and don't know how to be there for us in our new traumatized selves. And you just have to learn how to put it in a box and carry on. So I had some loose plans about how to talk about this. And then I realized the timing of this podcast recording matched perfectly with this trip to Moab. Those of you that know me know that I had three brain tumors. Those of you that are new to me and are are new to the podcast and perhaps haven't started from the beginning. I lost a child in 2016. She was 13 at the time, began having dreams, thought I should have a baby, went through the process of having a baby and gave birth to one at age 57. So this is fairly significant news in the medical community. And the significant piece, too, of this is that in the process of trying to have this baby, I found out that I had three brain tumors in my head. Shortly after the tumors were removed and my mouth condition was fixed and Kenny received his kidney, Montefiore Hospital, which is the hospital in White Plains that I went to, used me as sort of a poster child for their new neurosurgical center. You know, I had these brain tumors and you know, I had this amazing recovery and I had a unique story coming in with Molly's death and all of that. And the doctor, Dr. Eskandar was so phenomenal. They did like a photo shoot at the Capitol Center for the Arts in Concord, followed me to my gym. We went to Molly's grave. We had a wonderful, wonderful day. And they created a marketing campaign for Montefiore around their successful treatment of me. And I think it was a fairly successful campaign. 
So I've kept in touch with the people, the marketing people and the Montefiore people, because why wouldn't I? They're a huge piece of my story in regards to getting Jack. When Jack was born, the hospital reached out and asked, would I be willing to share my story as a promotional tool for their hospital? With my history of hating medical professions based on Molly's experience, and then how much I love White Plains Hospital, it was a no-brainer that I said yes. So what I thought was going to happen was a similar thing as before, a little online thing pushing you know, their hospital. What actually happened is I just shot a TV commercial. So I'm going to get into that for a minute because it really follows into the living two lives. So although I didn't create Jack and do my IVF and all of my prenatal care with Montefiore, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this if they had not treated me so well and been so supportive of my journey. If you watch any of anything that's written on me about having Jack at 57, the medical community is, is all touchy about not wanting to support other women at my age of having babies. It's dangerous. If you're over 35, it becomes high risk. Well, okay. I had two very healthy babies easily at 38 and 40, but this is the medical community and there's an agenda to push. That's their parallel life, yes? The, the unique thing about this commercial is I didn't have Jack or do all of those things at Montefiore. I created him, you know, with Cardone Reproductive Health and Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. And those doctors are very quick to say, not all 57-year-old women should do this, although all of those things. But Montefiore, when I went for the surgery to fix my mouth and then the brain tumors arrived and they took all that, they were unbelievably supportive of my journey to have a child. So when I found out I was pregnant with Jack. Of course, I had to contact them right away. So this commercial is interesting because I'm promoting a hospital around losing Molly and having Jack, and neither of those things happened at their hospital. But I think what's significant about this whole campaign is that if it weren't for how they treated me, if it weren't for Dr. Eskandar getting right back to me about trying to fix my mouth and encouraging me to have the MRI I needed, which located the tumors, and then jumping in and removing them, they made everything work. They made everything happen so that I could create Jack. When I told them I was pregnant, initially they wanted to come and do a story about me all big and pregnant. And then, of course, Jack came early. So a thousand tiny steps to here. Shortly after Jack's birth, all these different ideas. Let's, we'll come see you now. We'll come see you in the summer. And I would get these emails from, from my connections there about when they might come and do a story. So after several months, maybe in the fall, they asked what I'd be willing to locate, like to go to Utah or California to a beautiful canyon. I'm thinking to myself, you're going to fly me to Utah to take pictures of me for a little online ad. That's what I thought in my head. So I arrive here and what's happening is we're filming a TV commercial. It'll be a TV commercial in the tri-state area, which is New York, Pennsylvania in New Jersey, or maybe New York, Connecticut in New Jersey. At any rate, that whole sort of mid-Atlantic area for Montefiore Hospital. And the point is, is that Sometimes a hospital can do a service that will benefit another hospital. And in the medical community, and with all my experience around Molly, to have good things happen in a, in a business this big sometimes feels like good things happening in politics. You just don't expect it. So, so we all arrived. Kenny, Jack, and I arrived here. And there's hair and makeup. Look at my nice straight hair here and, and my little mascara. And there's wardrobe. I have to try on 500 outfits before I find the right one. And the, some of this I had done for the other photo shoot, but... It was overwhelming. And my first day here, we arrived Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, I went and did a film thing somewhere. I don't even know where. And it was very quick, a couple of hours. And I, I walked up a hill and got to the top and looked at this beautiful view. And I thought, this is different than I thought. 
really what it ends up being is there'll be a commercial, there'll be online YouTube channel things for the hospital, there will be small sound bites, there'll be radio bites, billboards, pictures on buses. It is their next major campaign for their medical community. I had no idea, no idea that any of this was happening. So I want to explain in the connection to living a parallel life, when one lives a parallel life, in my experience, you don't create a fake you. You take who you really are and modify yourself to fit into where you are. So often I've been called a chameleon. I remember Roy once telling me I told people exactly what they wanted to hear. Well, of course, because that's how you survive as a traumatized person. You tell someone something they want to hear so that you're safe. It's logical and it makes sense. And my life has been this way. What's interesting in my commercial producing experience is that there is a theme to the commercial. So my answers had to conform to the theme, which maybe sounds iffy, except I would never lie to conform to a theme. But I had to reframe my reality to fit the theme of the commercial, which was not a problem for me. I would do anything for that hospital. But as I'm, as I'm answering these questions and having to reframe my answers to fit the theme of the commercial, I really just thought a lot about my many, many, many parallel lives. I've mentioned before, I love Stephen King, and there is a book called Langoliers, which I think I've also mentioned. And it's like a time dimension thing. So parallel universe, you're at the same time, but two different realities. And there are times I think my life is just like that. And this experience is, was one of them. The other piece that's sort of like a parallel life is there is nothing about Moab, Utah that is close topography-wise or geography-wise or landscape-wise as Concord, New Hampshire. And so here I am, a New Englander at heart, Adcoa, Boston, in a place that I can't even describe adequately. I mean, this picture behind me is probably the best way to say, you don't see this where I live. I've spent the last four days, five days in this amazing place with amazing people who have very strong connections to this place. The first day was a very sort of minimal day. And then we walked around town. Moab is very small, sort of a little main street, not much at all, but it's amazing. The energy here is phenomenal. And then production began. So my first day, <laughs> I had to get up at three in the morning and go do hair and makeup. And we were on the road at four. It was pitch black. And I'm driving on this bumpy road. I have no idea where I'm going. And I end up someplace and they said, go sit here. And so I went and sat there. And basically, I just had to be myself. What they want for this message is what it's like to lose Molly, what it's like to have brain tumors, what it's like to have everything think it's over. And then this miraculous little being arrives, who we call Jack-Jack. So I spent probably 24 hours total in this beautiful canyon, over two days, maybe even more than, than 24 hours, in every bit of weather and, and every bit of view and every bit of light, daylight and nighttime, unbelievably beautiful, beautiful place, just being allowed to share what it was like to lose Molly, what it was like to find brain tumors, what it was like for Kenny to almost die of kidney failure, and what it was like to bring Jack into the world. It has been an amazing, amazing experience for me. If you're listening and you've never been to Utah or to the Southwest, I really encourage you to try to make it happen. It's not the touristy stuff. That really, even, even out here, the energy around what really matters in these beautiful places is just evident. In this whole production, along with all the TV-ish stuff, the camera people and everything, there are people that are called grips, and then there's production assistants, and then there, there are the safety people, which was a small company from right here in Moab, who make sure I'm harnessed and tethered because I'm the rock I'm sitting on is, you know, a thousand feet from the floor of the canyon and I'm two feet from the edge. Really amazing. It was like the perfect machine. Everyone had their job and everyone did their part. In the process of spending all this time reliving the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
I was amazed and impressed and blown away by the love and support and kindness in this group of people. Everybody understood immediately that this wasn't me selling cigarettes and this wasn't me pushing a clothing line. What I'm talking about is a hospital that took good care of me after I had had a horrifying experience with Molly. And that was really the message. So as we went along, I had to sit and listen to beautiful music. So I'm in the pitch black, first of all. I have no idea where I'm sitting, just on a rock. And as the sun comes up and I begin to see, I see this huge spire to my right. And I see this, all this like rock in front of me. And off to the left is a mountain range that looks like the Grand Tetons or, or the Rockies. It's just snow covered. It was everything you could imagine. I couldn't believe everything I was seeing. And I couldn't believe what I was feeling. So the first day was just me. I had an interview. So the woman that's directing this commercial is Denny Gordon. Denny Gordon is a TV producer of commercials and TV shows, and she's, she's amazing. She was described by one of the people in my group as the number one TV director ever. And so here she is listening to me talk about Jack, and she's a phenomenal human being. The people involved in this creation have created TV shows and TV commercials and movies, and they've worked with movie stars. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you here with me? Like, what do I have to say? But the truth of the matter is, and what books like The Body Keeps the Score and what podcasts like this one and so many others around grief and trauma and mental illness have to say is, as abnormal as we think we are, we are all fucking normal. My craziness around Molly's death, my creation of Jack, my childhood abuse, all of it, my situation with Roy, my situation and struggles with Kenny, all of it is just normal. I'm sitting here talking to hundreds of you, I hope, all of you, I know, have a piece of your life that is painful and private and that makes you feel like you don't fit in. What I'm learning in this process, and, and the main reason for sharing, is to say that, look, here I am. You know, I'm doing my best. I'm teaching school and starting a foundation and raising a child and maintaining a home and raising a daughter and missing another daughter and missing another baby boy. And day in and day out, I go to CrossFit and I clean my house and I teach kids and, and I do all the regular things. I live the life I'm supposed to live. And next to me are so many other lives that are nothing like the one I'm living. The main feedback I got. So, so the other great thing about all the people involved in a production like this is they're from everywhere. So I met this great guy, Tom, Tommy, this long gray hair, and he's from Concord, Mass. And I'm Concord, New Hampshire. So we immediately started talking in our best hardcore Boston accents and talking about pounded beers and drinking in the quarries. Like we just had so much fun just connecting. And then I had a camera person who was called Chief and then Patrick, who was, had this thick, thick, thick accent. And then Denny, who's the director. And then Chris, who's the first AD, assistant director, not athletic director. <laughs> and then Josh and Ted, who just sort of orchestrated the whole thing. This amazing group of people. And then my, my crew. So I had Jody, who did my makeup. And I had Casey, who did my wardrobe. And Jen, who organized the whole thing. And Everybody, everyone had their part and they just played their part. And I can't tell you how astoundingly humbling the whole thing was and what came out of it as, as each part happened, as I spent four hours crying on a rock, listening to this music and watching the sunrise and looking at Utah landscape that I'd never seen before, but that was talking to me. And then doing an interview in this beautiful place and being asked really painful questions and just needing to answer honestly, you know, and then doing a scene where I'm climbing on rocks. I get to climb all around. I just got to climb around on this, on these rocks in the top of this beautiful place. It was so wonderful. And meeting Zach and 
I call him Crouching Kevin because he had to be underneath me when I was rock climbing. And <laughs> I'm like, I hope I don't pee on you. You know, it was just this funny, wonderful. And this girl, Kate. So the three of them were with the safety. They harnessed us in. And when it got too windy, they would call it. And, you know, everyone had their job. Everyone did their part. Tommy and Dennis were phenomenal at being grips and they made sure everything was where it needed to be. And Chief and Patrick doing the camera and then Denny calling the shots and Chris making sure we're safe. And then Ted and Josh just in the background, putting it all together. I will never watch a commercial or a TV show or a movie again and not understand what went into 10 seconds, 20 seconds, two minutes of final product. It was astoundingly amazing and I'm utterly humbled. So what does this have to do with Parallel Lives? The Barb Higgins that's here in Moab, Utah right now is absolutely 100% me. I am me. Broken, <laughs> law-filled, straight-haired me. And all of my struggles and all of Jack and Molly and all of it, heartache that goes into traumatizing events in your life, brain tumors and kidney transplants and all of it, that can turn around and like a sunrise create amazing joy was appreciated and, and evident to all the people involved in this project. I had to do an interview and by the end of the interview, my interviewer, Denny, and I were both crying. She's crying, asking the questions. I'm crying, answering them. I'm looking around. And I try to ignore the cameras and the people because that would be distracting. But when I did take a moment to look, they were all crying. Do I have some profoundly unique, beautiful story that's all about me? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. I have a dead child and a new baby and an alive child that means the world to me, and a, and a history of struggles with relationships and trauma and alcohol abuse and addiction and all of it. I am so many broken things in a canyon full of people producing what will hopefully be a wonderful commercial. Everything I said resonated with them somehow, and it was the most unifying experience. It was just the most amazing thing. As I record this podcast, I'm this beautiful arch, and I look to my left out my hotel room window and a pouring rainstorm right now, and I look to my right, <laughs> only a hotel room with a baby and two old people could look like. I'm really just utterly humbled and grateful. Another piece of parallel living that didn't come up here, well, maybe it did, is dissociation. So I remember as a child, as I started to realize that my child abuse was abnormal, I began to devour books on other people that had been abused and how they associated and dealt with their abuse. And part of being able to live a parallel life is dissociation, which I've talked about before, stepping out of yourself stepping out of yourself so that you can function and do what you need to do. And then you can step back in when, when the going isn't quite so tough. And I talked about how great that was with running because I can step out and not feel the pain. And then I step back in when the race is over. And I will say that what's hard for people like me in the process of living this parallel life and creating the safe, strong Barb and the broken Fifi with her head over her knees, crying, huddled in a corner. Those two people exist all the time for me. We are parallel beings that way. In creating this commercial and in, in being in this place in this unbelievably spiritual, so much history here, you know, strife and time, I couldn't step out. I think, I think for the first time in my life, when I started to feel these unbelievable feels, I never once stepped out and turned around and looked at myself sitting on that ledge. I never once left the ledge. Never once. I never once left the interview. I never once left any of it, which for me is a pretty profound thing because I'm hard time sitting inside of my, try not to cry, sitting inside of myself. Difficult. Day two involved Jack and bringing Jack to the canyon. And if you've ever seen a baby in a canyon, then you know what I'm talking about. They're just connected. He, he, of course, he was fussy and it was windy. We had this amazing thunderstorm. Oh my gosh. You haven't lived until you've been on 
thousands of feet in the air on top of a huge butte at the edge of a canyon that's known for spirituality and love, experienced a thunderstorm. It was wonderful. I, I think it was all supposed to happen. It was just part of it. This episode is a bit of a, you know, of a bump in the road in the sense of following along some methodical pattern, but I just feel like I have to talk about it because I'm in this amazing place and I've met amazing people. What comes next? What comes next is a beautiful commercial, I hope, and perhaps a bit of a documentary. If you live in the tri-state area, you'll probably see it on TV one day. I just have to say, at the end of this whole weekend, it's not a weekend, it's a week. At the end of this whole experience, this whole thing, what I've learned in sharing myself is that everyone that watched me also had themselves to share. And if there was a message in this podcast, it would be, if what I'm saying, if anything I've said resonates with you, please turn around and share it or pay it forward to someone else. I have had the most amazing, amazing handful of days here. And, and I don't even know how to wrap my head around it at all, at all. It's been profound. I'm going to end here. I know this isn't a super long episode, but I felt like <laughs> I'm pushing the envelope and timing to get it to my editor so he can, he can edit it and make it nice. But living a parallel life is sometimes protecting yourself from abuse, is sometimes making sure you say the right thing and look the right way. I think every popular girl that we think is all confident is ultimately really insecure inside and does all the flaunting that they do to make sure that everyone thinks there's something that maybe they aren't. I think we do it all the time. I think actors and actresses in films, they're making believe there's somebody they aren't. I think every child that has to go to third grade after a horrific night, puts on the bravest face they can because they know they just have to survive. And I think every person that's spoken in public and picture their audience naked puts on the brave face they need to do what they need to do. Did I channel my inner Barb? Of course I did. When I gave that interview, I had, I had to channel it all in, but it was very profoundly different because I had to stay present. I had to make sure I followed the script and, and put my experiences into a theme. And it was wonderful for me because it made me think about my experiences in a different way. It made me, it made me look at my trauma in a way that rather than being my own private thing to cry alone at night about and put away during the day, it became this completely acceptable thing for me to share with everyone involved in this production. So I, I need to absolutely thank Montefiore for thinking my story is meaningful and worthy of supporting their amazing service. And I have to thank all the people that worked so hard to put together an amazing production. And all of us, all of us, at the end of three, three and a half days are utterly exhausted. So as I wrap this up, I'm gonna get on a plane tomorrow and fly home, back to my regular life, back to normal Barb with the curly hair that needs to be washed as opposed to this beautifully coiffed hair. If you're watching me, it's just so smooth. It makes me, actually makes me feel a little bit younger. So. Maybe I'll have to straighten my hair again. Ha, the parallel life. I'm actually curly haired, living a straight haired. Yeah, that's my analogy right there. So listen, take good care of yourselves. Take a minute to see how you live a parallel life and how it's helpful and maybe how it isn't. Or don't. I'm never going to tell you what to do. But I will say that the gift of being able to come here to this beautiful place and talk about the things that are most important to me, Molly, Gracie, Jack-Jack, baby Gordy, has been a profound gift. So as always, I hope that you're well and happy. When the commercial comes out, I'll make sure to put a link somewhere so you can see it. Please reach out and share if you have things to share. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. 
feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.